0: Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run grow and win on a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere. They go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. Now, here's the host of the show, longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of United Soccer Coaches, Dean Linke.
1: I am Dean Linke, and for the first time in quite some time, my voice is gone. I do apologize for that. It has been a busy year of doing what I love, broadcasting, and doing this weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. We kick off the show as it's Pride Month. June is Pride Month, and the LGBTQ and allies coaching community has a new chair, Cage, Lightner. We've heard his story before on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. He fills the shoes of the legend that is Dan Wog, and Cage Lightner is a bright light and you will love all the stuff that they are doing with the LGBTQ and allies coaching community led by Cage. Because of my voice, former director of coaching education for United Soccer Coaches Ian Barker was kind enough to step in last minute and visit with Ben Bartlett. Ben is the head of academy coaching for the Fulham Football Club, which, of course, just got promoted back to the Premier League, and he's the author of a new book called Constraining Football, A Vision for Player and Coach Development, a fascinating book that I think you will enjoy and a great interview between him and Ian Barker, who remains a friend to the association. That's our show as we kick off June. It's Pride Month. Let's be proud let's stand tall and let's kick it off with cage lightner the new chair of the lgbtq and allies coaching community for united soccer coaches after this message from our presenting sponsor league Apps.
0: We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties that's why we created league apps the industry's leading youth sports management platform so you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linke.
2: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. June is Pride Month, so we're kicking off our show this week with the new chair of the LGBTQ and Allies Coaches Community Group, a return guest to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Our good friend, Cage Leitner, is the new chair. It is Pride Month, and we start with a big old welcome, a big old hug, Cage. Thanks for being with us.
3: Oh, it's good to be here, Dean. Nice to see you again.
2: Yeah, so June is Pride Month, so put into words what that means and why all of us, all of us should pay attention.
3: Well, the first thing is is that, you know, it's hard to cram it all into one month. It's one of the things that I think is the biggest switch that should happen in this country and around the world is that Pride should be happening all the time. People in our community and our LGBTQ community are finding ways to be proudful of themselves all year round, but we focus on this one month because it has some history behind it. And the history is important that it started with a riot. It started with a riot from Stonewall in New York in the 70s and it started out as a, a revolution. Of, We're not gonna take this anymore. We're not gonna take the abuse. We're not gonna take the, the discrimination and the harassment anymore. And it, it evolved over the years into a proudful parade. And so that's what everybody knows is that it's a parade. It's a time to, to feel prideful. And for me, I think it's a time to really recognize and see everyone for their authentic selves. And I think that's what I feel when I think about pride is that I want to be my authentic self all year round, but I get a month to say, hey, I'm part of this community. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of what I'm doing. And we want to be uh, proud of of all of our coaches and our athletes out there that are trying to be their authentic selves. Speaking of being proud, as you know, our good friend, a man
2: that I love and I know you love, Dan Wogue, has chaired this coaches community, the LGBTQ and allies, since its inception. And he finally stepped down. He also retired from high school coaching. Those are some massive shoes to fill, but also some shoes that I'm sure you'll fill with pride. Can you talk about that as well, Cage?
3: They are some massive shoes to fill, and I'm doing my best in these first few months here of the the year as the new chair. Um, Dan is just an incredible person and has done an unbelievable job to spearhead this group along with Bree Smith um, many years ago to just recognize that there are so many LGBTQ identified coaches and athletes in our sport that needed a place to call home to feel like they could come and and be heard and seen and find resources and find support. And to have to step into the the place of somebody who has started something, who has seen a vision and and seen it through is incredibly, uh, just an incredible honor for me. And it's time to to hand it over. Dan's been doing it for a long time. It's time to hand it over to somebody who um, is a transgender person. That was a really big part of it was that, you know, to be able to get somebody into this seat who, Um, is also looking through things through the lens of gender and gender equity. And so it's just a huge honor to me to be able to sit in this place now and be at the helm of this incredible group that we have and get get ourselves going for this year and beyond with new initiatives, new ideas, new goals.
2: Well, let's talk about some new initiatives. Let's talk about short-term goals and yeah. long-term goals. I mean, you're brand new to the job, so it might be hard to look two or three years down the road. But how about like right here, right now, Cage? What are some things that are on your mind as it relates to initiatives? And then if you can, maybe talk about some things you'd like to accomplish in a couple of years as well.
3: Yeah. Well, right now, obviously, Pride Month is our focus. And we as a leadership group um, are really looking at how do we do the best that we can with Pride Month, with all of us being in different parts of the country, and um, and just trying to rally the troops? And so, what you can see um, for the next month in Pride Month from us is daily social posts that we're going to have highlights of groups and organizations and clubs that we really love that are doing a great job of getting the message out of inclusion of LGBTQ uh, coaches and athletes. Also, we're all all of us on the leadership team are looking in our own local communities at. What's going on in our communities? What are the events that are happening? How can people find places to go and celebrate and be together and find community? And so we're gonna blast this across our social page um, on Instagram and Twitter, and really just getting the message out that, first of all, we're everywhere. LGBTQ coaches and athletes are everywhere. We've been everywhere for all, all the years. And this is a way to go and celebrate and find community together. That's first, that's what we're doing for the month. Um, we're hoping to get some special guests to come onto our social channels. Um, maybe Jake Daniels, who just came out as the uh, the first professional footballer over in the UK to come out. Um, we're hoping to maybe get a chance to talk to him. Um, he's 17, by the way, I, I'm just catching up on the news and um, holy cow, a 17 year old gay man to come out at, um, in such a professional way. Huge. We could spend a whole podcast talking about that, Dean. So that's what we're doing for the month of June. So we've got some goals of, we want more followers. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know what's going on on the IG channel or the Twitter channel for for LGBTQ coaches, come follow us. We've got about 440 followers right now. We want a 1,000. A 1,000 is our goal by the end of this year, so come on over. And then looking a little bit down the road for the rest of the year, we're looking at uh, doing some updates to our diversity and inclusion training that we've got that's on the United Soccer Coaches um, website already. We want to do some updates on that. We've got these committees now, so we've got some new committees that have been formed within um, each group. Each coach's community has some committees, so we've got places for people to come and do things like around specifically around coaching education. Um, specifically around the 30 under 30 um, awards that happen. We've got some committees that are formed around that. So come join us. We need help. We want people to to really join our community. And that's another, that's part of our bigger long-term goal is just building more support and more community within our group. Whether you identify as LGBTQ or you're an ally, we want people. We want people to come in um, and, and join us and help us build this movement. You said
2: join, you said follow, Cage. I like repetition. Repetition is education. How can people join? How can people follow?
3: Yeah, you can find us on social media, LGBTQ coaches. Um, that's just our handle. That's easy to find on Instagram and Twitter. You can go to the United Soccer Coaches website and um, under the drop-down menus, there's membership and you can look at all the advocacy membership options and you can just choose to, to join us as a, um, to say you're interested in being a member. And I get the information. I get the direct contact from you saying you want to be a, a member and I add you to our email list and uh, then you'll start getting information from us
2: perfect we're here with cage lightner who's the new chair of the lgbtq and allies coaches community under united soccer coaches cage you were the perfect choice and it is pride month but you know as we look around our country particularly and around the world i mean there's still a lot of hate there's gun violence there's abortion rights there's the issue of transgender playing sports and so Sometimes you sit back and like, well, that doesn't make me proud, right? And yet, it's 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 Pride Month. Uh, walk us through getting through that adversity, particularly from your eyes, as it relates to the legislation around transgender, something that you and I have covered before. But really, this this whole kind of current world of hate that we're living in right now.
3: Yeah, it's hard. Um, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I'm, I just get a chance to you know ignore it or or think of all the positives. Um, it weighs heavy on my heart. Obviously, the, the recent gun violence tragedies um, in, in the short span of time has been, I think, the hardest thing to just sit with on top of already sitting with all of the anti-trans um, athlete and, uh, and, and gender affirming care issues that are going on around the country. And if you're listening to this and, and you know you're, you're not maybe knowing what I'm talking about with the anti-trans athlete bills or the gender affirming care, please look it up. Please educate. There's so much information. It's hard to, it's hard to miss um, if you really just put some time into searching because it's worth understanding what's going on in states that are basically telling children and families that it's not okay for their children to be who they are. It's not okay for them to get the healthcare that they need, or it's not okay for them to play on the sports team that they want to play on that feels best to them. And at the end of the day, I always just think those folks who think that, that, that these bills are worthy of upholding, they don't know us. They don't know me. They don't know these kids. They don't know who we are as people is that we are, you know, wonderful, kind, generous um, people who just want to live our lives and just be ourselves, just like everybody else. We just happen to look like we don't fit in, or we happen to be somebody who's, you know, th- falls outside of these norms. And I just always, my first thought, Dean, always is, I want to go talk to these people. I want to talk to these people who say that, that I don't belong, and that I'm not worthy, and that anyone who identifies as trans or as non-binary doesn't deserve the same opportunities or to be seen as the same. I just want to go talk to them and say, are you sure? Are you sure that's really what you believe and how you feel? Because look, I'm sitting here right in front of you. And, and look at the things that I'm doing in the world and the way that I'm impacting people. And I don't think you should take that away from anyone. So I don't, have a, I don't have a good answer, Dean. My answer is to find what is passionate in your heart, be, be true to yourself, find the people who love you, find your community and rally together. Um, and, and my hope is that we'll, we'll find the strength to keep moving on. It's Pride Month, so we wanna keep moving on. We definitely want to
2: celebrate LGBTQ and also wanna celebrate the allies. I'm an ally and we use this platform as allies. As you think about that, you know, as you take over this chair position, I think one of the things that drew you and you've said this before on the podcast to the United Soccer Coaches is their all in approach. Can you uh, repeat some of that sentiment, Cage?
3: Yeah, I think that as a as a whole association, there's just been an incredible level of acceptance and and not just acceptance of we accept you you know, as LGBT coaches, but also come and be leaders, come and, and step into leadership roles. When I first got, got in contact with the association early on, just as a member, I'm not somebody who sits in the back seat. I'm somebody who sits in the front of the classroom and asks lots of questions. And so I came right to them and said, hey, I'd love to know more about what you're doing to include trans or you know, gender equality or gender inclusion. And um, they, were all, they were all for it. Uh, Lee Gerald and I had conversations early on and she was all for, hey, let's let's talk more. Let's find out more. That's what I, I see as a good ally. That's what I see as somebody who's a co-accomplice who says, yeah, I'm not just gonna open the door for you, but I'm gonna open this door, pull up a seat next to you and say, let's do some work together. Um, and that's what I see the association doing for the LGBTQ coaches. And um, it's wonderful. And there's just so
2: much more to do. Since we have you on, and you're the new chair, and this is how we're kicking off June with Pride Month, and you're our leadoff guest, and make no mistake, you're right—you're not somebody that stands in the back corner. But Cage, you opened up to me and reminded me that at one point you kind of did. You talked about, you know, seeing your brother run around, and you wondered about how you were feeling about things, and it took a little bit of time, if uh, if you if you remember, Cage. So for all those people that are listening right now, what's your message to those people that? Aren't sure they're not, you know, they're still kind of hiding just a little bit. Cage, yeah. it's your platform to, you know, maybe even echo in your story again because I'm right about that, right? It took a little mm-hmm. time, and yet, no, you don't stand in the corner now, but at one point you did a little bit, right?
3: I did. Yeah, I, I, I was, you know, as a young kid, I didn't fit into the uh, the supposed gender norms. I was, you know, raised as a girl and looked like somebody who often was thought of as a boy, and people just thought I was weird they just thought I didn't fit or didn't belong. I didn't feel like I fit or belong. And so I had a hard time finding my voice and standing up because I was really concerned about being bullied and and harassed. And so, you know, it's taken a long time for me to find myself essentially um, through my transition, through, through starting testosterone and finding my place in the world and my, and my voice. But the the way that I did that was finding the people around me to to lift me up and to support me and to to help me when you know I would I would falter or I would fall. And I think that's my biggest message to anyone out there who's who's unsure of where to go, especially in this sports world, especially in our world of, of athletics and coaching. Um, It can be really hard to be a trans person, a non-binary person, a queer person, even though it seems like we've got some great support out there, there's still the people that are gonna try to bring us down that, that think we don't belong. And so my message always to anyone who's out there who's trying to find themselves is to find your support, find your people, find your tribe, the people who you can just truly be yourself because when you can truly be yourself, and and all of the iterations of yourself, doors open, windows open, ground floors just evaporate and you find all of the ways that you can walk through this world as a true authentic person and that energy radiates out and suddenly you're impacting a hundred more people and then those people are impacted and then a hundred more people are impacted. And that's why I love doing the things that I do, Dean, that's why I love being a person who gets up on stage, talks publicly, and and says, here I am. This is who I am. I'm proud of myself. I love myself. It's taken me a long time to be able to say that. And I hope that those words and that energy that comes out of those words hit somebody else in in an incredible positive way. And then they can say, oh, I think I can do that too. And then they can do that for somebody else. That's how how we're going to change things.
2: Here you are. And before we get to last word time, I want to focus in on here you are and who you are, because you are more than just the chair of this amazing group. You've done some amazing things up in the Portland area. You've done some amazing things, I think, all over the world, frankly. But tell, <laughs> tell us, remind us, if you, if you can, about some of the things that you're working on, Cage.
3: Yeah, I'm the founding executive director of Portland Community Football Club, which is in Portland, Oregon. And we are a competitive soccer club that is specifically designed to be accessible for low-income immigrant, refugee, and LGBTQ youth. And so we're really uh, trying to just shake it up. The pay-to-play system, we wanna come in and make it accessible, affordable, culturally relevant for all of the cultures of kids that are left out of the pay-to-play system because it's so expensive. And one of the things that we're doing right now is we're, we're introducing a whole new program, which is our family services program that's including wraparound services. So we're now providing nutrition support on the field, off the field to families in terms of food boxes. We're doing social service referrals and we're building this program this year. So we're looking for funding and support for us to keep this going because we know that the kids that we're serving are primarily kids living in either extreme poverty or, um, or low-income communities. They're experiencing racism. They're experiencing discrimination a lot, you know, as well as their families. It's more than just providing them a ball and some cleats and, and a, a place to play. That's great. We want that. But we know there's going to be need, need to be more support. And so that's what we're working on, uh, on now. It's going great, Dean. We're, we're growing. We're getting more kids. We're getting more supporters. We've got some great board members. We've got head coach Robin Frazier of, of uh, Colorado Rapids on our board. I cannot tell you how proud I am to be a leader of this organization.
2: I love Robin Frazier as the original voice of the Colorado Rapids. I've known him forever, so that is a, a great choice. Real quickly, uh, the website to find your Portland group, where's that website,
3: Cage? Yeah, Portland Community Football Club, so we're pcfc.co, and you can also just search Portland Community Football Club. You can search my name. It's not hard to find us. We're out there. Come, come join us. All right. Last word time. It's Pride Month.
2: We're kicking off the show with Cage Leitner, the new chair of the LGBTQ and allies coaches community for United Soccer Coaches. What is your final message as we kick off Pride Month moving forward? And then, Cage, as you say goodbye, plug the way people can follow you on social media one more time. Again, repetition is understanding and learning,
3: Cage. Go ahead. Repetition hit that ball several, several times in a practice time. Right? You know, my final word going into this Pride Month is to find your people, find the people that love you and support you, and be proudful. Use every energy that you've got in your body to, to, to connect with others and uh, and show who you are and um, support each other, love each other. We've got to. We've really got to wrap ourselves uh, up together. The way you can find us, LGBTQ Coaches, is on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, You can also find Portland Community Football Club on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, come join all of us. It's a beautiful, lovely, global football community, and we always want more.
2: All right, Cage, final promise I need you to make to me, and I think you know this already, but I need to have it on record on this show, and that is anytime you need this platform, United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps, it does not, does not have to be Pride Month. Every day matters, Cage. The door is always open. Please tell me you know that and you'll be
3: back on. Absolutely. I'll talk to you anytime, Dean, and all of you out there listening. I love it. This podcast is great.
1: Cage Lightner kicking things off on Pride Month on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. As you can hear from my voice, my voice has taken a turn for the worse as I've wrapped up a full year of broadcast, never missing a podcast, never will. But I do need to thank former director of coaching education, Ian Barker, for stepping up with our next guest, as we're so pleased to have on the show Ben Bartlett. Ben Bartlett is the head of academy coaching for Fulham Football Club, which, of course, just got promoted, again, back to the Premier League. And he's also written an amazing book called Constraining Football, A Vision for Player and Coach Development. So thanks, Ian, for pinch hitting. And thanks, Ben Bartlett, for an amazing interview. Again, the name of his book is Constraining Football A Vision for Player and Coach Development. And you'll hear from Ian and Ben after these messages.
2: Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma. We'll provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the master course schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org.
0: Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform. From robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations, League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast.
4: Hello and welcome back to United Soccer Coaches podcast. I'm Ian Barker, the former director of coaching education for United Soccer Coaches. And I have Dean Linky to thank for um, setting me up with this next interview with a colleague and friend of mine from the UK. So what I'd like to first do is introduce you to Ben Bartlett, who is the Head of Academy Coaching for Fulham FC. And the very good news and timely part about that is that Ben uh, and the club have recently won promotion to the Premier League. So Ben, uh, thank you for joining us from London. How, uh, how's the weather and how's life in the middle of the afternoon?
5: Thanks, Ian. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity to be here. So yeah, the weather here is great. Thank you. Yeah, we're sort of coming towards the End of the football season in the beginning of the summer in the off season so opportunities to sort of reflect on what's been a really exciting season uh, both in English football and certainly at Fulham uh, and hopefully plan for the new season.
4: And the first team is out I take it uh, probably on the beach somewhere but are you still working with the academy right now are the players still in?
5: Yeah there's a few groups still in we've got uh, an under 11s group going to a national competition uh, in Loughborough this weekend and we've got another sort of 2000 and uh, 12 group that's going out to France for another competition this weekend as well after that it largely starts to starts to calm down uh, and then different groups are going to be coming back between sort of the back end of June and uh, into late July
4: so I want to get to the meat of the the conversations that I'd like to talk about your book constraining football which has been doing the rounds in in the US and uh, some of my colleagues in the MLS have been reading it and I know I've got about 170 Olympic development coaches later this month who are going to be uh, meeting with you and talking about the book. But before we get on to the book, I'm sure people listening are interested now that um, the club is going into the premiership and you're responsible for talent development. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe homegrown players you've got um, making the grade, stepping up, and how that's looking for the club and um, development? Yeah,
5: absolutely. Absolutely. I think the, the the club certainly has got a strong history of the Academy being successful at developing players both for Fulham's first team and also more broadly. And if you look across sort of certainly in England and then across some of Europeans other leagues, there's some players that are playing at the very top of the game. So Uh, you know, I've been fortunate to be at the club for three years now, but there's certainly been a number of staff that have been there for a much longer period of time that have contributed much more significantly to that development. Um, I think what's been exciting over the last season is their under-23s team have won their league also and managed to win the league with the squad being a little bit younger, perhaps more dynamic than it has been in previous seasons. And it's been really nice to see some of those players get some exposure to first team football, both in our first team and across others on loan during the course of the season. So naturally, promotion just raises the bar again in terms of the expectation that you're going to be able to compete. Um, and certainly our history has been we get promoted and then within the same season we get relegated back again. So there's certainly that balance of developing and supporting homegrown players to make the step between planning our youth programme to, to, to in the Championship uh, against planning our youth programme to go on and in the Premier League. So we're certainly very conscious of that step and trying to ensure that we get the players as much senior exposure as we possibly can and working more broadly across the whole of the game, not only drawing them towards our first team.
4: We're obviously beginning a time in the U S where we have MLS Academy players homegrown, making first teams. I think of Philadelphia union, I think of Red Bull, but we're also experiencing for the first time, the challenges of young men who commit a lot and then don't quite make it. So in the case of Fulham, Um, obviously pushing players towards the first team now, potentially the Premiership, uh, playing in the Premiership. What type of safety nets, what type of opportunities do you provide or does the club provide for players that maybe don't quite make the grade and and you have to let go?
5: I suppose relative to a lot of clubs, we're probably in a fairly privileged position as now a Premier League club, as what in England is called a Category 1 academy, whereby as the players develop through our programme, if they're unsuccessful with us, there are layers beneath that, be that in the Championship League, one league, two down into non-league, where perhaps there's greater opportunities than if you're naturally further down that pyramid, the places at which you can step down to are naturally reduced. Um, So there's certainly a a commitment. So for our under-16s, as an example, where we make the decision for them to go to become a full-time scholar or to release, one of our sort of metrics is to try and ensure that all of the players get a scholarship either at Fulham or at another club. Um, so that regardless of whether they're successful with us, hopefully we provide them with some kind of support network that allows them to succeed somewhere else. Um, I think the second thing is to try and see a more holistic, whole-person development and education programme alongside the football stuff. And certainly in England, and I'm guessing other parts of the world, that still does generate some tension in terms of if you provide second and third choices, is it a distraction from being really committed to the first choice? Uh, however, there seems to be increasing evidence of People that have a second or a third interest actually being more successful at their primary interest. So being really purposeful about that. Um, way outside of my level of expertise, we have like a player care and an education department that work really strongly on what we call a life plan and an alumni program, which enables um, our class to get a, a formal, broad education program that supports them to go on to higher and further education in the event that they're unsuccessful at Fulham. Uh, there's also a collection of other things that they get, they get exposed to, such as being able to manage your finances, being able to learn to manage yourself, being able to perhaps take an interest in a plumbing course, if that's something that's going to be a value to you moving forward, which hopefully means at the point that, and it is always bad news, that bad news is felt, um, that those players feel as if there are other avenues that they're set up for to support them to be able to go on and succeed. And certainly one of the things that we more broadly measure and celebrate as successes are players that go and play somebody else's first team allows go on and commence a coaching career somewhere, even if they haven't been successful as a player. People that set up their own business, become a musician, that do something that's completely outside or left the field of football. But hopefully, in some small way, the time that they've spent within the academy programme has enabled them to develop some of the whole person skill that helps them succeed in broader life.
4: Excellent. Well, it wasn't my intention for that to be a lead-in about the book, but that, what we've discussed there, what you've talked about, is this sort of holistic planning, not just for the, the players that make it, uh, to the first teams and get the, exactly what they were dreaming about, but they have these, these backups. So the book is called constraining football. I have my copy and PDF version on my computer uh, constraining football, a vision for player coach development published by green star media, some friends of us in the show. Um, if you haven't got copies of soccer coach weekly elite soccer coaching or women's soccer coaching, that's the magazines to have. So a little bit of a plug for those guys, but um, Ben, Ben authored the book constraining football. And when I looked at the book and I've been thinking about it, words that come up for me, Ben, are contextual, um, holistic, player-centric, and those are quite good buzzwords in, in U.S. soccer coaching. But do you want to um, explain a little bit uh, from the broadest sense of how you interpret what you mean uh, when you say constraining football?
5: Yeah, I guess certainly in, like a, in the English setting, we've got some fairly strong cultural constraints that historically lead to coach being king Coach is the determinant of what's important, and then they oppose or expose those players to the information in the hope that they can kind of repeat it. And if they repeat it in the way that the coach intended, then that's perceived to be success. And I guess in many ways, that's probably not dissimilar from formal traditional education, whether that's in primary school or university. You kind of conform to the system to be able to be successful. Um, I guess sport is a dynamic event, uh, it will be different every single time. Um, the human aspects that you have, which are strengths of yours, will be different from mine. The human aspects that you have that are weaknesses of yours will be different from mine, which means that the way in which you may need to be coached and supported to optimise your opportunity will be completely different from mine. And From a constraints-led approach to coaching perspective, we would just ask and encourage coaches to consider who, is, who are the people that are in front of you? How is it that you want the game of football or soccer in the States to be played? and what are the environmental situations that those players and that game of football is contending with. That should probably then shape your environment, shape the way that you think about coaching, shape the way that you deliver your practice sessions and shape the way that you broadly pick your team and behave on a game day. Uh, Which hopefully means that each coach, each club will take either a subtle or significantly different approach to the way that they approach working with their players Largely because what's important to their club might be different from somebody else's. Their focus might be on winning every single game and winning the league. Some people would say that's a bad way to run youth development programme. I don't have a view and a constraints that approach, it doesn't determine what's good or bad. It's just more about aligning what you do with what's important. So if winning every game is important to you, you may pick a particular team and plan a particular way. If providing broad exposure for young people to enjoy playing soccer... it may be that you make completely different decisions and I think if we're clear about what it is that we're committed to we do that in league with the players and if they're young players with their parents then that's probably the clarity that we need to guide the decisions that we make
4: I try to continue to remind people in the grassroots model what you see on television what you read about in the newspaper is high level professional financial bottom lines I mean there's enjoyment for sure but it's a it's an industry it's a business and unfortunately Sometimes we lose that context when we're at the grassroots level or or certainly in a youth development level. What you talked about there, obviously, a lot of the the delivery of the content, the delivery of the context comes from the coach. And very often the grassroots coach is by his or herself. In the case of Fulham or some of the bigger clubs, what other resources do you have that help inform you as to what those contexts and what those needs of the players might be? What, What support services do you have?
5: We have what we would call in England a multidisciplinary team. So each coach will have surrounded with them a performance analyst, to someone that will look at the video, that will generate some data, that will add another pair of eyes. There'll be a sports scientist there that will largely be responsible for sort of supporting and overseeing growth and maturation and building some kind of physical development program. There's medical support, which will obviously tie in very closely to the sports science to ensure that we're keeping the players fresh and available, but that we're driving them to be able to meet the demands of the game of football. And we also have, um, certainly from a sort of more pitch based perspective, a psychology provision which enables the players to come to better understand themselves, to understand some of the challenges that life and the game will bring and hopefully to develop some of the necessary skills to support them to manage and succeed within those uh, challenges. Um, more broadly, we have a player care team, we have an education team who, as we alluded to earlier, certainly cover some of that broader sort of holistic support. But it's also important to say we have a media and a communications team who, even though they're there to largely to promote the nature of the football club and every other club will have the same, to also support the players to get some exposure to what it's like to talk to the media, to communicate positive messages and to do that in a way that's both age-appropriate and relative to their current experience.
4: So thinking about the the young people, the young, in your case, men coming into the academy, um, my own experience is uh, kind of name-dropping. So you go to Barcelona, they show you the dormitory, La Masia, Um, But you go to Ajax and they talk a lot more about the need to be with family and, of course, the country smaller and things like that. What are your general opinions about the the values or not of staying at home with family, going home to your own bed at night, seeing your mum and dad, as opposed to potentially being in digs, being in a residency programme? What does that look like at Fulham or, or what's your opinion about it?
5: I guess perhaps principally similar, but practically in a different way from some of those clubs you alluded to. The decisions that we make are largely guided by our vision, what we've committed to. Our vision speaks about individuals who can fulfill their potential. So whether players stay in what we would call digs, we don't have a dormitory, will largely be guided by whether we think that's the most appropriate decision for that player with the understanding and necessary buy-in of the parents, which means a player that lives nearby, that can go home every night, have dinner with his brother or sister, get the support from their mum and dad, that seems like a, perhaps in those examples a really nice opportunity for them to stay at home and travel into the club. Um, those that perhaps would have a two-hour train journey every single morning to get to training, which just adds a huge burden, perhaps is a different decision. But then also recognise that when they become an under-17 and they come full-time into the scholarship programme, that person that's got a two-hour train journey, it may be best for them to be in digs when they become second year and maybe a first year pro, it may be that we make alternative decisions as we help them to get used to dealing with the demands of travel in two hours, et cetera, et cetera. So we very much try and take an individual approach within our own resources and try and ensure that it isn't a everybody must do this, but try and make a decision that we think is within our best understanding of what's right for that plough, right for those individuals.
4: Yeah. Um, So a bit of a naive question. I had an opportunity um, to, to visit Southampton and the way they have the academy structured in with the, with the senior teams. Uh, Fulham, do your players in the academy have exposure to first-team players? Do they see them at the training ground or are you separate or how does that work?
5: The majority of it is seen as uh, positive. We have a relatively small training ground, certainly in comparison to a lot of your big sort of spaceship uh, training grounds that you see now with the big Premier League clubs, which means we're all on the same site. We're all relatively close to each other, which makes that connection more natural. And I think sometimes those things, you can just end up with some happy accidents of players that happen to be around that watch training that then take an interest in how the under-16s are getting on and maybe start to speak to the players. We've had some really nice interactions, partly because of some of those staff I referred to earlier that have been a club for such a long time, that know some of the players that have been there for such a long time that can, can just connect a first-team player to an under-16 player to talk about what it's like to defend talk about what it's like to be able to progress and regardless of how much skill experience or qualifications any of us may have, there's nothing more meaningful to to a young player than talking to one of their peers, someone they aspire to be, who's at the sharp cutting edge of the game to provide some context about um, some other things that might be important. And the more that we can make those connections, the the better for everybody. Um, We're a relatively small club compared to some of our peers. And I think one of the things that we pride ourselves on is sort of that close and more personal approach which enables people to feel part of a bigger family as well as being part of a football clubs academy program.
4: So I think the answer to this is probably going to be quite optimistic and positive, but your experiences as a young professional player, aspiring professional player, certainly I had a few of those uh, and maybe half a generation before you, but it was not a very caring or benevolent environment. It was very cutthroat. It was, I, I tell people sometimes that one of my reasons i didn't go on with a professional career was i wasn't willing to break somebody's leg on command which i actually had a couple of youth coaches ask me to do what would you say the optimistic or the positive things about being a young player in 2022 are relative to your experiences and the sort of the good old days of bring them in and churn them out
5: it's probably biased by the fact that we're in the system hence we value and we certainly see the best of the system But the nature of the way that the programme is structured now means the experiences that these young men, and if you follow it into the women's programme, that young women receive are so broad um, and relatively unique, probably outside of being in an academy programme. That if the players, the parents and us as a club can see that as a journey of experiences and a collection of experiences, and a wise man once said to me, rather than considering the sort of 10,000 hours principle, consider the 10,000 experiences principle, is perhaps a really positive way of saying, regardless of whether they go on and play for England and play in the Premier League. If they go with all of those experiences, which in many ways have given them a positive childhood of many ways, colored the way that they can go on and live their adult life, then hopefully that's a positive thing. I think one of the other things that I reflect back on now is that even though I was unsuccessful at having a successful professional career, the amount of time that I got to spend in the car with my dad on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday night, traveling to the football club that I played at, then going to games on a Sunday, times that we had together. At the time, you probably don't really appreciate it, but looking back, it's certainly time that you got to spend with a parent that you might not have naturally had if you weren't in a, in a, in a centre of excellence or an academy programme.
4: Yeah. I'll share a personal story and sort of context for our audience. I was coaching a college programme and we had a first team and a second team. And of course, everybody wants to be on the first team, but I've been invited to as many weddings of former players from the second team as the first team, which kind of warms me a little bit in as much as they saw value in it and they didn't feel like all the resources went to the first team. And I'm sure a lot of young players in in the modern day, in the professional setup, hugely disappointed if they don't make it to the first team. But if the club has treated them well and maybe the club helps them with subsequent placement, they can still have a, a love affair with Fulham because Fulham is where they started. So I want to just plug the book again. So it's Constraining Football by Ben Bartlett. I got my copy from Green Star Media. Um, Amazon, Ben, anywhere else you want to all find booksellers all around America and the, the UK
5: all around the world.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so do look up the book. I will share a personal experience. I was working with some MLS Academy coaches in a coaching badge and I was plugging the book and I was talking to one of the young men from Cincinnati about coming out to see you. And as I'm chatting with him, he pulls your book out of the bag. So we got at least one hard copy sold in the US. You're coming over to visit Nashville, I believe. You're coming over to visit my good friend, Larry Sunderland at FC Cincinnati. And then you're also going to come and spend some time with um, about 160 Olympic development coaches in Cincinnati. So your experiences in America, have you been before? What are you hoping to get out of this trip? Tell, Tell us a little bit about Ben Bartlett and the American tour.
5: Yeah, I've been a a few. Uh, I was fortunate. I spent a few years working at Chelsea. Um, I came on the pre-season tour to Los Angeles back in 2007, uh, which was an unbelievable experience. And um, Chelsea played um, what was then a David Beckham-based Los Angeles Galaxy. Um, And certainly you could see the sort of power that soccer was starting to have, uh, the sort of growth of the game in the country. and certainly in many of the sort of clinics that we run both in Los Angeles and further south down towards San Diego, you could see there was a real appetite for people to want to learn and understand the game. So that's that's something that's really, um, really sort of continued with a number of experiences I've had since then. I think the key bits is sort of just looking at, you know, relatively new MLS franchises such as Nashville, such as Cincinnati, and uh, the nature of being able to build something almost from the ground up to not have been hopefully too constrained traditionally by 100 or 150 years worth of football, which whilst in England that brings many benefits in terms of the way that the game is entrenched into the national identity, it also brings its challenges because people hold on to that national identity in the way perhaps things were number of years ago so i think i'm really excited just to see how a the game's growing in the country and b the way in which relatively new franchises can drive a really positive model of development and hopefully do stuff that's relatively novel without being wed to historical constraints
4: now that's really interesting you say that because i think of our home country the uk and how the clubs have a certain base similarity and base historical ethos And, and obviously Clubs change, but it, you're so right when you talk about the States because what a club looks like in Houston and the fan base and the types of players and the types of playing style, in my experience, looks radically different to what Red Bull was doing out in New York or what um, the values of sporting Kansas City are, which is where I'm I'm currently speaking to you from. So that's, that's actually a really interesting take. So I, I'll be uh, sitting with you over a cup of coffee in a couple of weeks and um, really looking forward to introducing you to some young American coaches. I think in this country, you know, we have a lot of MLS on television. I would argue that the, the probably the biggest league is 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 the Premier League in television watching. Although we've got access to Bundesliga, Serie A, League X, and I think people will be excited to see Fulham back in the Premiership for sure. And any contribution you've made to that success, I'm sure the check is in the mail for that. Ben, thank you very much for your time. Very generous. Like I say, constraining football. I've got my copy. And thank you to Greenstar Media for making that um, available in the American market. So what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up with Ben, thank him and wish him all the best with um, his job as head of academy coaching for Fulham FC and and for the academy and for the first team back in the premiership. Thank you very much for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. And I'm going to turn it back to Dean Linke. Cheers, everybody. And thank you,
1: Ben. Cheers, indeed, Ian Barker and Ben, as well as Cage Leitner for kicking off Pride Month this week on the United Soccer Coaches podcast also want to thank Bailey Conklin, Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, Lee Gerald, Jeff Van Dusen, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. A shout-out to Dan Wogue, who Cage Leitner replaced in the all-important position for the LGBTQ and allies coaching community for United Soccer Coaches. I also thank all of you for listening, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash. We'll see you next week. With my voice back intact, I promise, for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps.
0: Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.